Welcome to a special Illumination by Modern Campus series, where we discuss how continuing education acts as an incubator for higher ed executives. We're speaking to presidents of colleges and universities across North America who each got their start in the continuing, professional, and online education space. For the second episode of our series, Evolution Editor-in-Chief and Illumination host Amrit Alawalia is joined by Kathy Sandine, President of California State University, East Bay. The two discuss how Sandine's own experiences as a non-traditional student helped her build opportunities for others, and where the line between a business leader and a higher ed administrator is drawn. Well, Kathy, welcome to the Illumination Podcast, and thank you so much for joining me. It is my pleasure. It's good to talk to you again. Absolutely. And, and you know, in the, the nature of, of, uh, of this series that we're in the middle of right now is the idea of continuing ed as, as a leadership incubator. And, you know, you're the, I will tell you, you're the person who actually first put this idea in my head. Um, when we first met, you were the Dean of Extension at UCLA. Uh, you went from there to uh, the American Council for Education, and then to the University of Wisconsin Colleges and Extension as Chancellor, you then start uh, went to Anchorage uh, to to uh, take uh, the Chancellor role at, at the University of Alaska at the Anchorage campus, and and now you're the president at, at Colorado State University East Bay, and and it was fascinating watching this progression in your career because it really did feel like the start of a much bigger trend. Uh, you and I talk a lot about the the leadership, the nature of leadership and continuing ed. Can you chat a little bit about what that transition has been like for you, just moving from that from that dean role at UCLA uh, in, into Wisconsin, onto Alaska? Like, how how's that shift been, and and you know what's what's kind of been behind some of those moves? Right. Yeah. And and just um, to clarify, my, I'm at Cal State East Bay, so California State Soft, University yes. system. You know, no problem. Um, well. One thing I realize about being in continuing ed or the extension world is that you really need to be entrepreneurial. You need to be externally focused as well as internally focused and very student-centered because the programs are really on the um, boundary, the edge of workforce development. What does the workforce need? What are employers looking for? So that's a skill that becomes very well embedded in what we do, kind of constantly assessing the external environment. And I think that maybe originally in more traditional higher ed, those skills weren't as appreciated. But today, where we're looking at enrollment declines, we're looking at innovation, we're looking at competition, I think that skill set really comes to the forefront. So that general orientation really helped me in, in my jobs. Um, I was fortunate my first chancellor role in University of Wisconsin system, I oversaw University of Wisconsin extension that included the continuing education unit, the one of the nation's first competency-based education degree programs, as well as public broadcasting and cooperative extension. So I was really able to take my skills and apply them in a broader realm. So it, it's been kind of a comfortable and natural progression for me. And as I moved from Wisconsin then to Alaska to a more 
traditional urban-based degree granting institution, and now to the California State University system, Cal State East Bay, it um, these skills have just developed and it's continued to make sense. Absolutely. Now, your your own background is is fascinating, and it does you know it's unique in the context of of most higher ed leaders that came from a very traditional sort of pathway into administration. You were a non traditional student, um, so how has your experience kind of forging this? this individual pathway toward post-secondary education driven your professional interest in, in higher ed and specifically in creating access and quality uh, higher ed acts, uh, opportunities for other non-traditional learners? I don't necessarily see a direct connection that's driving, but I do see influences. So you mentioned first generation. I am the first in my family to go to college. And um, one of just a couple out of five of us who did so, and looking back on our lives, my life is completely different from my siblings who did not complete, you know, post-secondary education. And I know that so many people in our society have a similar situation and that, that opportunity that I was able to achieve through my education. I, it, it's really, that is what's driven me um, mm -hmm. to into the access world. So part of that is high access degree granting institutions, as well as non-degree and other alternative ways for people to enhance their education and participate more meaningfully in, in the economy. So I do think there is a connection between my own personal experience and where my career has gone. You know, it's, it's an interesting topic, right? As we, as we talk about the opportunity for non-degree education to start playing this wider role, because I think the understanding of the value of non-degree non, non or alternative credentials in, in the post-secondary space has completely changed even over the last five to seven years. Are you seeing a broader shift in the way that students recognize the value of alternative approaches to education? Like, is there a market understanding of, of what certificates and certifications might be able to get someone and, and how those stack up against opportunities to earn a degree? Frankly, Amrit, it's really um, evolving here in, in, at least in the California State University system. We're really focused on the four-year degree and it still historically is the stepping stone to economic stability sure. and social mobility. So that's really our focus. So we're the non-traditional degree or non-traditional certificate programs come into play would be an add-on to the degree. Yeah, We do have a very robust extension unit at this university and that it, a certificate can be an entry point so it's, it's not a huge part of what we do, but it is an important part and a growing part. So I think over time, it will become more important here in California um, as people are seeking to move up the food chain in employment away from very entry level positions into something more substantial and family sustaining. Um, but right now, it's it's more or less an add-on to the traditional four-year degree here. Where I do see a little bit of innovation 
although it is quite um, customized and small, would be a next-gen apprenticeship program. So the idea mm -hmm. that individuals don't necessarily need a degree to become a network administrator. However, they need to be invited in by an organization that's willing to work with apprentices and get them up to speed. So that's why it's still quite small, but I'm seeing the, the beginnings of different non-traditional pathways happening here. It's an exciting opportunity, right? Because it's it's as universities start to really position themselves as being lifelong learning partners as opposed to single-time education providers. This, I mean, I, I'm almost going back to an article that you you wrote for us, it had to have been in 2014, about trends that we're shaping or trends that leaders should be keeping an eye on. And one of them was this idea of, you know, how do you make the university a place that people can keep coming back to? As it as you look at that that opportunity, as you look at the, the the university's positioning as a lifelong learning partner, how much of it is philosophy and how much of it is programming when it comes to creating an environment that makes sense? Like almost what has to come first? Is it among staff kind of a common buy-in of, of a new approach to a mission? Or is it creating the offerings and then having people see that they're successful and impactful over time? Uh, I think it can be both. And I would add a third thing as well. And that would be what employers are looking for. So yeah. here where we are in the San Francisco Bay Area, um, really Silicon Valley is creeping its way up and over to our area from further south. And um, employers are very interested in a couple of things. And that is making sure that their employees are really have the latest skills that are needed or make sure that their managers have those management skills. Um, and they don't necessarily create it themselves. They often mm -hmm. want to outsource it. And, and providing um, education as a benefit to their employees. So I recently met someone from Amazon, and what they're interested in uh, helping uh, in doing is helping their employees in the distribution centers earn certificates and degrees and working with us as a vendor for Amazon so that they can provide that benefit. So it's a retention device, a benefit for employees from the employer standpoint. From the general public, I think people see education as a means of moving up, either moving up in your chosen, in your given current career, or if you want to make a pivot or a change and go a slightly different way. So for example, someone who is in finance maybe wants to know more about healthcare finance because the healthcare um, um, jobs are growing in our area. So I think individuals are very good at seeking out opportunities. So if we are attuned to what's happening in the economy and the workplace, and what people are looking for and create programs that address that, either custom programs working directly with employers or publicly offered programs that people can find, um, I, I think there's great demand for that. And in terms of our own alumni, we're really working on, at the university as a whole, scaling up our career development services. Mm -hmm. And we want to provide those for alumni as well it'd probably be alumni who are looking for maybe their second job after they graduate. Sure. But still, um, 
bring people back with a service that they value. It's, it's yeah, I mean, as, as the institution sort of continues to provide value, where it can provide the most value is, is opportunities and access to upskilling. And, you know, I, I do want to turn our attention a little bit to, to some of those inherent um, characteristics almost of CE that, that guide so many folks into senior leadership. Because, you know, even in the last sort of five years, if you look across the space and there are so many folks that have come from, you know, Folks we would have bumped into at Upsia who are, are are taking on uh, executive leadership roles, and you know David Scable is as a perfect example. Who's your colleague in in Wisconsin? Went to Marquette, is now at Excelsior. There's uh, Alex Hernandez at Champlain College. There's a, a number of folks that are in the series that that we're running right now. What is it about CE that builds this skill set for future institutional leaders? Good question. So a few things come to mind. I think when you are working in continuing education, you have a cross-campus perspective. So you're not just in one discipline where if you're a department chair or a dean, you're kind of focused in one thing. If you are an extension dean, you are looking across all those disciplines. And that's very similar to what a president or chancellor needs to do. Uh, As I mentioned before, you have to have an external orientation. So constantly um, meeting with industry leaders, other organizations, um, nonprofits in the the area to uh, K-12, you know, the educational system. And that's really very much a skill set that a president needs. I think um, you're, you're definitely not reliant on state funding. You know, you have to... Um, generate your own tuition revenue, your own revenue from alternative revenue streams. And that is highly skilled at this Mm -hmm. point. You need financial acumen. You know, there's no big reserves or funding that's going to bail you out. You know, every year you're operating on a zero-based budget and that that skill. And probably being really student-centered is also uh, an important skill because you're constantly thinking about not, you know, what the faculty want to teach, but what the students need to be taught. And Mm. that's a a whole different orientation that again is much needed today and is very valued today. So those are a few ideas that I've thought of, of um, what makes a continuing education leader a potential for an overall institutional leader. You know, what gets me about, as as you're laying out these ideas, the idea of student-centric programming choices, the idea of being budget conscious and of being all, all, all I'm gonna say business-minded, um, but these, these are concepts that are still not necessarily part of what we think of as being you know, high value skills for, for a post-secondary leader. I think we still think of our industry through you know, a relatively traditional lens. Do you find that there's a broad shift happening in our industry that's that's creating this, you know, this need for more business-minded, more innovative, more entrepreneurial leaders to be taking executive leadership roles? And if so, how do you feel about, um, you know, I guess what was a debate a few years ago, folks from the business space coming in as, as executive leaders of post-secondary institutions? Like, where is the line really between a you know a business leader and a higher ed administrator? Yeah. Um, well, 
I think part of what's driving it, the, the openness to um, inviting continuing education leaders in as institutional leaders is in large part the enrollment declines that mm. we're seeing across uh, many sectors of higher education in the United States. I'm not sure if it's true in Canada as well. Um, so at least down in the United States, the idea that you have to be innovative and nimble and um, understand more about, dare I say, the customer, the student, what they need, how we can serve them, how we can be more uh, customer service oriented. I, I think that's how uh, colleges and universities are going to survive. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, still academic quality is at the fore. Um, it's not that it's turning the university into a business. It's just taking some of those elements that have served businesses and seeing how they apply in the university setting. So in terms of um, universities all of a sudden being led by business CEOs, you know, I, I still think that would probably be in the minority. And, and mm -hmm. here's the reason why. There's a unique academic culture within higher education and post-secondary institutions. And it really revolves around that academic program, academic freedom, faculty who are have devoted whole careers to a discipline and to an institution. And that creates a culture that um, you know, may not align with someone who's used to a business culture that's much more top-down and hierarchical. Mm -hmm. I think the participatory management inherent in higher education, where it is collaborative, where faculty and administrators work together, um, people who can, leaders who can figure out how to do that well, um, are, are unstoppable. It's a, it's a, it's a great combination. I think making that cultural adjustment for someone who hasn't grown up in an academic environment, uh, I'm not saying someone can't do it, but I'm, mm -hmm. I, it probably would be more of a challenge. Be a lift. Absolutely. And you know, it's, it's interesting as I'm reflecting back on one of the earlier points you made that in continuing education, there's a need to be cross-departmental. You have to be collaborative with, with folks across the institution. And part of that is team building. There's a significant collaborative element to that where there's a responsibility. It's not a nice to have, it's a must have that, you know, you have buy-in from every department around the kinds of programming that can be offered, the kinds of collaboration, how a revenue share with those departments might work. And that's, it's not really a skill that departmental leaders in other spaces really have the opportunity to develop. But to your point, it's, it's critical when it comes to you know, how are you operating in an environment where it's not a top-down hierarchy, but it, it really is a team effort to run a modern university? Yeah, that's a good point. And really what we do is lead through influence that, that you hit the nail on the head. When you're in continuing education, you don't have any power. You're not at the top <laughs> of the hierarchy. And what you need to do is lead through influence and data and making good arguments and being persuasive. And it turns out that those skills are very, very useful in running a university. So let me ask you this. I mean, as, you know, again, I've, I've just rattled off the roster of folks at the top of my head who've gone from continuing ed into executive leadership. And 
I'm curious, I mean, as, as for continuing ed leaders who are listening to this interview, what advice would you share uh, for folks that maybe want to see how 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 they can leverage that influence at, at a greater level, how they can bring some of their expertise into the operation of their institution today, and maybe how they can get noticed for, for more executive level roles as, as their careers progress? Yeah, so one of the things I would recommend if someone is interested specifically in in moving from a continuing ed dean or director position into um, high, you know, president position um, would be to participate in one of the many uh, leadership programs that exist throughout the U.S. and Canada. You know, the one that I did was sponsored by the American Council on Education, ACE Fellows Program. But there are similar le- leadership programs that people can do. And this will introduce uh, individuals to the higher level functions of a university. Uh, Continuing education unit kind of mirrors and parallels those, but it amplifies. um, I think one thing that we may not deal with in continuing education to the same degree that you do when you're a university president would be the faculty senate and Mm -hmm. that actual policy. So there's a lot of things that you can get exposed to. I think even in your own institution, kind of treating it as your own fellowship and reaching out to the deans, the vice presidents, the president, and asking to do an informational interview. Most people love to talk about their jobs and um, that's something that someone can do right away just to start to get that little higher level perspective. And then I would also recommend applying for some jobs, you know, just going Mm -hmm. through the process, talking to the search consultants that run these searches, you'll learn a lot, um, how to present yourself and maybe you'll get an interview and maybe, you know, you won't get the job perhaps, maybe you will, but Mm -hmm. still you learn a lot going through the process. So those are some things that an individual steps that an individual can take on that own pathway of, of professional development, if that's the path that the person wants to pursue. Absolutely. Kathy, um, I've certainly, I think we're, we're more than at time at this point. <laughs> uh, the way we like to end our interviews is, as I warned you about, uh, is, you know, we, we ask folks, especially if, you know, they're, we know folks are starting to travel around again, folks are, are, are bouncing all over the country. And, and, you know, if someone finds themselves in Hayward, California, or in the Bay Area more broadly, uh, where where would you recommend they go for dinner? Where's your favorite place to go to eat? Uh, well, just thinking about our campus here, that um, we have three campuses, but the largest one is in Hayward, California. And um, we're really embedded in, in the East Bay of the Bay Area. It's the place where I grew up. This is a place that's very humble, very, you know, um, people are ready to work. So what I would recommend is that you come up to our campus and on Tuesdays and Thursdays, we uh, have Angelica's taco truck right here on campus. And you can stand in line with the other faculty, staff and students and get your own freshly made uh, authentic taco right from a taco truck truck in the middle of our campus. Yeah, that's a very, very strong recommendation. That sounds pretty <laughs> awesome. Kathy, it's been an absolute pleasure. Hey, thank you so much for your time. It's my pleasure as well. Thanks for the invitation. 
This episode is brought to you by Modern Campus in partnership with The Evolution. Modern Campus empowers higher ed institutions to thrive when radical change is required to deal with lower student enrollments and revenue, rising costs, crushing student debt, and even school closures. Powered by the industry's only student-first modern learner engagement platform, Modern Campus supports every corner of the modern institution, from continuing and workforce education, to student affairs, to the registrar's office, to marketing and IT. To find out more on how you can transform your institution to meet the needs of the modern learner, visit moderncampus.com. That's moderncampus.com.